great future. We're talking real money. Just like that. It's Friday again. Fast. They happen fast. Well, that means it's time for me, Don McDonald, to answer the questions that you spoke in didn't send. You spoke them in at TalkingRealMoney.com using one of your electronic devices that has a microphone. And a lot of you do that, and I really appreciate it because I love answering your questions. So just keep doing that. Go to TalkingRealMoney.com, click the contact form, or kick the contact form, and uh, record your question, and then I'll do it on an upcoming Friday. And if we get too many, we'll just do them on other days. So uh, let's... Let's get to the first one, right? It's all about the questions. Hi, Tom and Don. This is Tyler from Texas, and I have a question regarding a vehicle purchase. Since both of you have recently purchased a vehicle, I wanted to pick your brains to see what your thoughts are on the way to fund our next vehicle purchase. My wife and I recently had our second and final kid, and we're looking to purchase a larger SUV to tote around the kids and our dogs. We're in our mid-30s, and we bring in around $280,000 a year. We have no current debt other than our mortgage, and we've been maxing out our 401k contributions to the yearly IRS allowable limit, as well as funding 529 plans for our kids and putting aside an additional $500 a week into a brokerage account for our savings. Currently, our Vanguard brokerage account has around $80,000 in it and could easily fund the purchase of a new vehicle. The type of SUVs we're looking at would range anywhere from around forty dollars to $60,000, and I think we could probably get about $15,000 for a trade-in of our current vehicle, which would leave us on the hook for paying around thirty dollars to $50,000 roughly. This is where we need your help. Would you think it's a wise choice to, bu- to buy the vehicle outright by cashing out the money from our brokerage account? Or do you think we could put some money down on the vehicle from our checking account and finance the rest of the vehicle? It looks like the Average interest rate is about 5% right now for a vehicle. I think we could probably end up doing a little bit better through a credit union, but I haven't researched that yet. This would ultimately reduce our weekly savings that's going towards our brokerage account, but it would leave it intact and continue it to grow. Or do you think we could finance the vehicle monthly by using money from our brokerage account? That way we can continue to contribute to our savings each week Even though I'm married to a CPA, my wife says she doesn't know the tax implications of this, and I'd like to hear your thoughts. Thank you very much for your time. Buying a new car. I just bought a new SUV, as you alluded to, but it was actually used, but it was pretty close to new. Um, Really close to new, but I saved a lot over buying a new one. Anyway, you might want to, I really, I have become very, very happy with CarMax. They're, they're really, their game has been stepped up a lot. Anyway, though, the real question you have comes down to borrowing or paying cash. And we're in that interest rate gray area right now. Because if you can get five, you're doing really well. But I did a lot of research and I can't find five. I found one credit union that was doing a 5.6, and I mean an 850 score. So you got to be almost perfect. Um, Looks like most of them are the the sixes, even sevens. And if we're in the sixes or sevens, then the question becomes a little simpler to answer. Because when we're at that rate, if you can get a 6 or a 7% safe rate of return on your money, which in essence it is, then paying cash makes more sense. 
or it it probably I think it does. Uh, if you're if you can actually get financing, legit financing, and that doesn't require jacking up the price of the car, you know, like a dealer might do, they go, yeah, we'll give you a lower rate, and then they won't give you as, as much money off the car or as good an incentive. Uh, but if you can get a legit credit union rate that's five, then it becomes more complicated, and I'd really be tempted to uh, to go if you if you have a portfolio that is well diversified between stocks and bonds, then based on the past, it should be able to beat that. It should. We don't know that, but it should. Uh, So then it becomes a different equation. Tax-wise, not a bit of difference. I mean, unless you're selling something and suffering a huge capital gain. But uh, if it's some of your more liquid assets on which you don't have much gains, then there really aren't tax ramifications. You don't, the only deal you get on your, on buying a car is you can deduct the sales tax registration. That's about it. So, uh, late model used. I used to argue that you want a new car so you can get the highest level of technology, but now the difference in technology between a 22 and a 24 or even a 21 and a 24 is negligible. So you can get a late model used car. We got a 23 and we end up ended up saving over the uh, the manufacturer suggested retail about eleven thousand dollars, just buying a car with about eleven thousand miles on it. So uh, we thought it was worth it. But uh, if you want a new one, cool. I'm not one of those folks who says don't buy a new car. New cars are cool. New cars are fun. New cars are safer. New cars are warranted. You understand? I hope. I can't give you an absolute, but uh, low the lower the rate you can get on the note, the better it is to go ahead and finance. Thanks for your question. I really appreciate it. And now it's off to the next one. Hey, Don and Tom. How do you advise your clients to best anticipate and budget for healthcare expenses in early retirement? For example, in the mid-40s, how would a family of four predict and budget for the best and worst case scenario for annual healthcare costs? Do you have any resources you would recommend? My wife and I have looked at healthcare.gov, but wondered if you had any more specific advice. Thanks for all you do. Well, as one who is on the cusp of something resembling retirement, I guess, eventually I got to take Social Security and go on Medicare, uh, planning for it is, well, it's difficult because it is that is something that is in constant flux both your health and the healthcare system. So it's hard in your 40s to plan for it. I honestly think the best plan to plan for your future healthcare costs is to save as much as you can today so that you have a large pool of capital available for unimaginable costs. You know, the costs of 10 years in a nursing home, for example. If the the, the greatest security you can have going into retirement is to have a, a sizable sum set aside that while you can use it, the income from it to live on, if need be, you can use that money, earmark that money for uh, for longer-term health care expenses. And by the way, the biggest one is going to be long-term care because you're covered by Medicare in retirement, Medicare or a Medicare Advantage plan or something, which is going to cap 
the out-of-pocket for the health care itself. The thing that's going to bite you is long-term care. And long-term care insurance has proven in the past to be a mess. Today, it's really hard to get ridiculously expensive. And that's because in the past, it wasn't as ridiculous, ridiculously expensive. And therefore, they had to raise premiums until people couldn't afford them anymore. The math didn't work well. That's why I think the best thing you can do in your 40s is plan to save as much money as you can. Healthcare.gov isn't going to help you unless you're looking for a policy. But if you have policies where you work, then that that point is absolutely moot. And there's not a lot else that you really should be doing. Just save and invest sensibly and responsibly as much as you can for as long as you can and have as much money as you can when you do eventually retire. Thanks so much for your question. And of course, we want you to send in your questions. Go to TalkingRealMoney.com and just click on the contact form and you can type them in or you can speak them in. And let's do our next one. Hi, Tom and Don. Um, A quick question regarding uh, brokerage account. Should I keep uh, total bond uh, market in my brokerage or just keep the total stock market? Um, I'm asking this because of uh, taxes at the end of the year. Um, Please advise. Uh, Thank you very much. Well, generally, we believe it's better if you have these accounts to keep your bond portfolio that is fully taxable in one of the um, the tax advantaged accounts like a 401k or an IRA because then your tax free benefit or tax deferred benefit allows that money to accrue and grow upon itself compound upon itself and you won't pay taxes until you take money out, and it will be taxed at the same rate no matter. So it's all going to be taxed as income. So we would put it in the tax-advantaged accounts if you have those available to you. I mean, if not, then they go in your brokerage account, and then you pay taxes. But otherwise, keep them outside of the brokerage account. Okay, thank you so much for that. Let's see. I, was, I figured we were going to get a lot more questions in from different people, but our next question is, get this, four questions in one. Four questions in one. Let me see if I can answer all of them as best I can. Hello, Don and Tom. I'm a 68-year-old retiree who underfunded his retirement. I'm currently in a 50-50 portfolio, but I'd like to change that to more 55 stocks and 45% bonds as I feel like I'm too conservative right now. I do use uh, Vanguard and I've got a multi-part question for you. First part of the question has to do with the Vanguard personal advisor services. It seems that Vanguard now says that if you don't have at least half a million dollars invested with them by March 31st of this year, you'll be moved from a personal advisor to a team approach from Vanguard. I wonder about this. I don't know if I like the idea of a team approach and and like to know what your thoughts are on that. And should I just drop the personal advisor service as they've really made minimum changes 
to my portfolio over the last year or two, and they can provide no taxable advance nor no planning. Now, I've not yet signed up for Social Security, but I am past my full retirement age. So the first question I have besides that one has to do with what Vanguard has me invested in. Currently, Vanguard has me 37% in BND, 16% in BNDX, which is the international bonds, 41% in VTI, and 6% in VXUS, the International Equities Fund. Should I change this or does that look like a proper allocation to you? At question number three, I have most of the money that I have with Vanguard is actually in a rollover 401k, but I've only got it invested in a federal money market fund. As I've wanted to put that money to work, but I've been hesitant to do so. Yet the market is right now at an all-time high and having a good year so far. Knowing that, I know that nobody can see the future. Nobody knows when to invest. And I know I should use dollar cost averaging, which is what I plan to do. But I'm wondering, should I start that now with the market at the high And we really don't know if this is the true high because it could go higher. It could go lower. Nobody knows for sure. Um, This is the largest percentage of my portfolio, cash. So I'm considering putting it into some funds and like to know, do you think I ought to follow what Vanguard's personal advisor service has done, put me in BNDX and VTI? Or should I consider funds like um, AVUV? And what other funds would you consider? And the final part of my question has to do with a stock that I hold. Now, I'd like to get rid of this stock, but I do hold 3M stock in a personal brokerage account. Price is currently 9464, which is actually below where I purchased it as an employee who got a 15% discount. I'm wondering whether I should let that stock price rise up to about $107 to $109 and then sell it. Because one thing 3M is getting ready to do is spin off their healthcare division. And I'm not sure exactly what that's going to do to the stock. But I do want to get out of the stock because I want to take that money and put it into an ETF and I feel pretty certain that I'd have good capital gains and throw find something that throws off some cash. So I'd like some suggestions for ETF and what to do with that, that stock money. Thank you for your advice and look forward to hearing your thoughts on those multi-part questions. Here's my general impression of everything you said. You are your own worst investing enemy. You are your worst investing enemy. You're not investing, you're betting, you're speculating, you're market timing, you're doing a little gambling. Uh, the <laughs> Should you be more aggressive? I, I'm not even going to go there. 
the first thing you need to do is clean this mess up. And I don't know how much money is there altogether, but the fact that you've got most of your money in cash. Okay, I'm going to come to that. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. Whether you should go from 50-50 to 55-45, well, that's just nitpicking. What you really need to do is figure out what you want this money to do, how it's going to do what it needs to do, and how much risk you need to take to do that, and then how much risk you can tolerate in that process. You haven't done any of those things. And that that right there may be one of the biggest problems with the Vanguard Advisory Services, their personal advisor. They do not advise you on your whole portfolio, and they only advise you on what they have, and team or individual doesn't really matter. That That's... It doesn't concern me. What concerns me is the fact that they they tend to they they tend to create boilerplate portfolios uh, that only use Vanguard funds, and you're paying money for that, so you're not getting the best. You mentioned later on AVUV. There are a lot of of funds like that, factor funds and and sensible funds that probably ought to be in a well diversified portfolio, but you don't have a plan. The cash. Let's go to that cash. Why is it in cash? Because you were timing the market. The term all-time high is so misleading. It's only a temporary all-time high unless you honestly believe that there is going to be an all-time high at some point in the near future. And the market will never go back up again. Come on. Think about that. If we reach an all-time high and never reach a subsequent all-time high, then the economy is in collapse. It's at the beginning of collapsing. It's all over. It's all over. So if you believe the economy of the world will grow eventually, then you should have been invested before, but hindsight, you should be invested entirely now entirely dollar cost averaging is the way we earn money it's not the way we should invest it we invest it that way because that's the way we earn it instead of piling it up and then investing it all at once we invest it as we earn it which is kind of nice but considering the fact that on an annual basis the market has gone up has i don't know what the future brings 75 percent of the time it's foolish to have money on the sideline anytime it should be it should be invested. How we don't know. The Vanguard portfolio. There's, in my opinion, too little international, not enough value or small exposure. Uh, but that's again nibbling around the edges. This portfolio is a mess. 3M. You think something is going to happen in the future because you read it somewhere. If you read that they're going to spin off medical then guess who else read about it? Well, that'd be everybody. The market doesn't react to the news. The market reacts to the rumor or the expectation. So the fair price of 3M today is what 3M is selling for today. Could it go up? Yep. Could it go down? Yep. Have you made money? That's sad that at a discount you haven't. But your portfolio, again, is still a mess. It's a mess. You need to... (laughs) I know you have one, but they're not very helpful. You need a real live 100% fiduciary advisor who can look at all aspects of your portfolio and advise you. You are somebody who 
actually needs help badly now, and it's worth paying for. You need guidance. Now, you've done one really smart thing, and that's waiting to take Social Security because that's going to that's gonna bail you out of a lot. I mean, the difference between Social Security at 68 and 70 is, you know, that's it's a bit under a thousand dollars a month. Um, I mean, okay, it's it's in the many hundreds, depending on your your situation. But you need a plan, sir. You absolutely have to have a plan. You are a great illustration of why it is so essential. And I think I covered everything. Thank you very much for listening. I appreciate it. Thank you all for listening. And if you get a chance, ask others to do the same. And then send your questions in at TalkingRealMoney.com on that contact form. And, by the way, for our last caller and anyone else caller, I'm going to call her call. I'm going to call them callers. Uh, if you would like to talk with one of our advisors at Appella, we really do make them available for free. We have no expectations. We're not going to send you a bill. We're not going to pressure you into becoming a client. Sure, if you want to become a client, we welcome you with open arms. Uh, but we will give you some help, legitimate help, not just, hey, uh, yeah, you need to become a client today. No, we don't do that. We will try and at least point you in the right direction. So go to TalkingRealMoney.com and just click on the Meet an Advisor button there and somebody will get in touch with you. It's really easy. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend or whatever follows the day you listen to this and uh, take good care of yourselves. I'm Don, hanging out, talking real money. The opinions and views expressed on this podcast were current on the date recorded. Opinions, estimates, forecasts, and statements of financial market trends that are based on current market conditions constitute our judgment and are subject to change without notice, including any forward-looking estimates or statements which are based on certain expectations and assumptions. Although information and opinions given have been obtained from or based on sources believed to be reliable, no warranty or representation is made as to their correctness, completeness, or accuracy. Information presented on the podcast is not personalized investment advice from Appella Wealth. The views and strategies described may not be suitable for everyone. This podcast does not identify all the risks, direct or indirect, or other considerations which might be material to you when entering any financial transaction. Past performance does not guarantee future results, and profitable results cannot be guaranteed. We hope you realize that the information provided on Talking Real Money is for informational, educational, and hopefully enjoyable purposes only. The podcast is not trying to get you to buy or sell any financial products or securities. Instead, the program is provided as a public service by Appella Wealth, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Please see Appella Wealth's ADV Part 2A on our website for information regarding Appella's fees and services. Appella Capital, LLC, DBA Appella Wealth, is an investment advisory firm registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission. The firm only transacts business in the states where it is properly registered or excluded or exempt from registration requirements. Registration with the SEC or any state securities authority does not imply a certain level of skill or training. Appella does not provide tax or legal advice, and nothing either stated or implied here should be inferred as providing such advice. Thanks for listening, and please visit TalkingRealMoney.com for more information and important disclosure related to performance of any specific index or fund quoted in this podcast. And the lawyers get richer.